This is not the media. This is hell. Hundreds of thousands have taken to the streets. The government listened, and an injustice has been stopped. Or at least postponed. Delayed until later. No, that size of crowds didn't march against President Donald Trump demanding he be recognized as the next president of the United States. But those huge masses did protest the new draconian anti-abortion law in Poland. And yes, the Polish government backed down, at least for now. Anti-abortion laws are unpopular in Poland, despite Poland being a predominantly Catholic country. The Catholic Church, Poland's conservative right-wing government, tried to restrict abortions in the past. That proposed law was met by protests as well, and the anti-abortion legislation never became law. This time, the conservative government, backed by the church, decided to circumvent the parliament altogether, within which the conservatives hold a very, very slim margin. Instead, this time, they could circumvent parliament by putting the new anti-abortion plan into the Constitution. We'll find out what happened, why it happened, and what the future might be for anti-abortion laws in Poland in a few when we talk to National Councilwoman of Razem, a left-wing political party in Poland, Zofia Malisz, who posted the progressive international article, Our Bodies, Our Lives, Our Country, The World. Women across Poland are rising up against a barbaric assault by Catholic clergy and their friends in government, which you can find at progressive.international. I'm your bitter, blind, broke, gap-toothed radio show, live stream, podcast host, Chuck Mertz. Producing, as always, Alex Jerry. Alex, please remind us, what's this week's question from hell for our listeners? This week's question from hell is, so, uh, what's for brunch? It's uh, referencing a uh, popular meme of people holding out uh, photo, uh, photos of signs uh, saying, if Hillary was president, we'd be at brunch. So, uh, four years later, what are you having for brunch? Oh, and remember, Molly, she got to hit the ma. Harder. Yeah, Molly. Molly. Yeah. yeah. I grew up with people with that last name. Really? <laughs> yes. Uh, in East Detroit, you got a lot of Polish people, a lot of Germans, and a lot of Italians. That's pretty much the entire town at that point. The person with our favorite answer to this week's question mail wins our new Gray on Black This Is Hell t-shirt. You can check out the new Gray on Black This Is Hell t-shirt and all our merchandise right now by going to thisishell.com and clicking on support where you will see all the ways you can contribute to completely listener supported this is hell without you we got nothing so thanks to all of you for your support you can leave your answer to this week's question mail at our facebook page facebook.com slash this is hell radio you can direct message it to us via twitter at this is hell radio you can email it to either of us at chuck at this is hell.com or alex at this is hell.com but we must have your answer by the end of today's show when we are announcing this week's winner following Jeff Dorchin in the moment of truth. During this week's moment, Jeff leans on survivor bias, a moment of truth he was supposed to be doing last week, but unfortunately, I was sick. Alex will have more of your answers to this week's question from hell. Again, so uh, what's for brunch? So uh, what's for brunch? Email us your answer to chuck at thisishell.com, alex at thisishell.com, post it on our Facebook page, tweet it to us. But again, we have to have your answer by the end of today's show. Your eyewitness to grief, this is hell. And although there were lots of people partying in the streets last weekend, we don't mean to be a total buzzkill, but over the last couple of weeks here on This Is Hell, as the United States participated in what passes for democracy here in the States, and then celebrated that process as if it was truly the one only and best democracy ever, despite the fact that it is not a direct democracy, but representative. So representative that we do not directly vote for the highest office, instead using a relic of slavery, an active institution of white supremacy to select who is president. We thought we would remind you over the last week or so that our democracy has not stopped war, that it is not all that democratic, that there is... Uh, well, there's plenty of alternatives that the worst aspects of our history continue. The political economy we have created is destroying the planet, which essentially means the American dream causes climate change and pandemics. And both of those global threats are driven by not only the legacy of colonialism, but its continuation is globalization, which both spread the virus of capitalism that upsets our relationship with not only nature, but each other. None of which will be the breaking news on CNN, because... 
considering an alternative based on equality, challenging the very mechanisms that have created climate change and coronavirus, reexamining the idea that constant growth is a good thing for the planet or humanity, analyzing how nature has changed globally as we remake it in some idyllic vision of capitalism that is a nightmare for all of us. That's just not what the media does. Yesterday, we learned monocrop culture is a creation, a legacy of slavery, and now we're doing everything we can to keep it going, including the constant production of new pesticides to kill the new, more resilient uh, bacteria that were the outcome of the last new pesticide that was supposed to have saved us from all these viruses infiltrating our food supply because we pack all our plants and animals into small spaces as capitalism and the market demands, which leads to the transmission of viruses and pathogens in an incredibly easy way. Yeah, this week's show was not necessarily... Uh, or the last couple of weeks shows were not necessarily a celebration of democracy when it comes to how democracy is defined here in the U.S., but discussions about working together collectively and not only with one another, but collectively with non-human animal and plant life, living collectively with nature to save us from global warning and pathogens, you know, that kind of stuff that's not news. That's why what we cover is the news that scares the new news, and that's why to the news... This is hell coming up. Hundreds of thousands take to the streets and stop in an anti-abortion constitutional amendment. We'll also have Jeff Dorchin in the moment of truth during this week's moment. Jeff leans on survivor bias. Alex will have more of your answers to this week's question from hell, which is, so uh, what's for brunch? What's for brunch? The person with our favorite answer to this week's question from hell wins our new gray on black This Is Hell t-shirt, which you can find right now by going to thisishell.com and clicking on support, where you can find all of our merchandise and all the ways in which you can support completely listener-supported This Is Hell. You can leave your answer to this week's question from hell at our Facebook page, tweet it to us, you can email it to us. But again, we have to have your response by the end of the show today when we will be announcing the winner of this week's question from hell. Live from the nightmare of want, this is hell. The people of Poland stood up and stopped an attempt by the conservative government to circumvent parliament and institute a new constitutional amendment that would impose inhumane restrictions on abortions that our guest calls torture. Here to tell us what happened, what is happening, and what might happen in the future when it comes to abortion limits in Poland National Councilwoman of Razem, a left-wing political party in Poland, Zofia Malish, posted the Progressive International article, Our Bodies, Our Lives, Our Country, The World. Women across Poland are rising up against a barbaric assault by Catholic clergy and their friends in government, which you can find at Progressive.International. Welcome to This Is Hell, Zofia. Hi, Chuck. It's Thanks great. for having me on. It's great to have you on the show. I want to start with kind of a bigger question first, and then we'll scale down and scale down more and more. One of the things that is in the headline of your article over at Progressive.International, Our Bodies, Our Lives, Our Country, The World. What do the anti-abortion, the attempts by the government in Poland to impose anti-abortion laws and the protests against that imposition of those laws, what does that have to do with women's rights globally? What does that have to do with the uh, attention to or the possibility of anti-abortion laws globally? Well, this is this is a very important development in my country, which uh, is uh, considered conservative. But um, as we have seen in the last weeks, uh, particularly young people and young women, they are uh, ready for a, for a fundamental change because, uh, yeah, our our fundamental human rights, women's rights to their bodies, their lives, and also our country have been uh, attacked in the recent attempt of uh, of the conservative, uh, nationalist, and Catholic Church-friendly uh, government party called uh, Prawo i Sprawiedliwość, uh, Law and Justice. And yeah, this, this has been basically their, their latest, not only an attempt, but, but an execution uh, of, uh, of, a, of a de facto abortion ban, um, well, via, via the politicized uh, um, constitutional uh, tribunal in Poland, well, that that was just the the the, the last straw here, and um, basically within hours, uh, millions of people in all of the country, in the whole country, also in small towns and municipalities that uh, traditionally 
has been considered uh, conservative and very close to the to, as, a, as a community to the Catholic Church. Even in those municipalities, young women have have organized themselves and, and came out to 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 protest this, this this assault. And I think this is this is very important for for the global uh, fight for for human and 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 women's rights because. Uh, we have learned recently uh, via, um, for example, this is one example how, how um, f- conservative forces globally uh, have formed a, a kind of an internationalist global organization, and they ha- help each, o- each other in order to, in order to, uh, uh, to fight to fight all sorts of uh, uh, um, human rights that we have either um, acquired in Poland and everywhere, LGBT rights and women's rights. So they do organize. Uh, so, so a recent investigation by Open Democracy has found that um, Donald Trump's personal lawyer, Jay Sekulow, is financing, has been financing with, with millions of dollars, dollars uh, working with the American Center for Law and Justice. Uh, and, uh, well, the private lawyer of the American president has been investing in fighting human rights all over the world, including Poland. So, for example, this constitutional court ruling in Poland that banned abortion, uh, I guess, three weeks ago now, uh, the, the uh, um, ultra-conservative friends of one of our very uh, fundamentalist legal uh, lobbying group have issued uh, a friend of the court uh, brief supporting the restriction of abortion in cases of fetal uh, defects. So, so they all work together in order to undermine whatever we have achieved and, and uh, yeah, dismantle whatever, whatever we, we, we have achieved so far. That is, I found that amazing when I saw that in your article. Uh, the U.S. president's uh, personal lawyer, Jay Sekulow, has been pouring millions of dollars into fighting women's and LGBT rights in all of Europe, including Poland. Is the U.S. right behind a global war, an international war against women's rights and gay rights? Is that, is that the feeling that people get in Poland, that the United States, the right wing in the United States, is the driving force against women's rights and gay rights, not just in Europe, but around, and not just in Poland, but around the world? Well, I, I'm, I am not sure if this is, I mean, this doesn't maybe play that of a big role in, in the, the mainstream media, let's say, discourse about this particular issue in Poland. People that are interested in international affairs, uh, you know, have noticed that, and, and particularly the internationalist left. So our friends from Progressive International and my party, Razem, we... We basically look look at uh, uh, activities of of conservatives uh, internationally, and we have we have definitely paid attention to that. But uh, of course, Donald Trump's as as a person, as a president of of the United States, his his influence and and the influence of his views uh, that 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 are supporting this type of uh, uh, anti-abortion and and you know his his policy regarding, for example, uh, the rights of transgender people. Well, we we definitely Polish society has gotten the vibe that he is that he is conservative and that he will politically support those forces that uh, that definitely are reactionary in that particular regard. So yeah, we 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 hope that now um, in this interesting, exciting time in the U.S. Uh, of transition. We hope, uh, nonetheless, uh, despite all the, all the problems uh, that have transpired with the election, <laughs> apparently, allegedly, uh, but still the victory of, of the Democrats is there and the Democratic new, new president, Joe Biden, we hope that this will, that this will change in, sense, in the sense of human rights. We, are, we don't have high hopes regarding social issues, economic issues particularly, because maybe we, uh, well, our political side is more aligned with the, with the uh, in terms of policy, with the left-wing uh, uh, part of the Democratic uh, Party. However, from what I have heard, maybe you, you can, uh, maybe we can discuss that uh, here. Uh, Joe Biden's record, Joe Biden's record is quite okay on, on, on human rights, and he has already uh, tweeted in support of of the Polish LGBT uh, community quite forcefully. And yeah, that that actually was noticed by the Polish media and Polish politicians. That was actually a big statement to address LGBT, Polish LGBT community rights 
uh, uh, on Twitter directly. So yeah, that was that was good. But it, start. but is that popular though in Poland, considering how the you know Catholic supported government, which is in the majority, is that kind of statement popular within Poland, or is that a fifty fifty thing where if you are supporting LGBT rights and women's rights in Poland, that fifty percent of the people support it and fifty percent of the people don't? Is it that split, or is it not as split as the government is? So uh yeah regarding so so there is a there is a certain split maybe uh, between uh popular support for uh, all sorts of lgbt uh, plus community rights and abortion rights so uh, so there is definitely a majority of of all people in Poland of all ages uh they they oppose simply uh, uh this uh, uh, for example this ban that happened recently so so this is a very unpopular decision by this politicized uh, tribunal, and definitely the government is doing no favors to uh, uh, to to his voters, to their voters, even because there is even the the, the law and justice base. Uh, I think 30% of them uh, are actually um, supporting abortion, like unlimited abortion rights. And in the general population of Poland, I think it's in the recent poll, it was definitely 60% that that supports. Free, uh, you know, like legalization, practically legalization of abortion. So for a for a, for a country like Poland, this is this is a majority of people, and this is this is good. So here here we 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 definitely have a situation where where the popular opinion is kind of uh, um, not really agreeing with whatever the government is doing. The, these these lobby groups, these fundamentalist lobby groups, are pushing. And what the Catholic Church is, is 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 doing and trying to influence. However, with with um, LGBT uh, plus community rights, the, the the situation is a little bit uh, worse here. So not many polls support, for example, uh, marriage equality and even less uh, uh, adoption of children by um, same-sex uh, partnerships. Was this a miscalculation politically by the government, by the Conservative Law and Justice Party? Do you think that, I mean, the uh, parliament has 235 uh, seats that are in support of the government and 225 that are in opposition. Do you think that this was a political miscalculation by the government that could lead to the end of the control of, of government, of parliament, by the Conservative Law and Justice Party? Well, uh, since they have won another term in office very recently this year, uh, this is this is the beginning of their next term, which which is going to last another three years now. So we have been considering this as politicians, uh, and also with all those uh, uh, feminist organizations uh, that that have been uh, crucial in organizing the protest, and we work together. For example, the the Ogólnopolski uh, Strike uh, Project. This is a like. Um, women's strike or women polish women on strike organization so we work together and all these protests were were organized uh, by them mainly uh, so we were discussing that on the political side and on the activist side is is the the massive protest that has occurred uh, does this have a, a, a create does, has this created a chance uh, to to basically chip away a little bit uh, of of the support for the government uh, that had just recently uh, won another election, and yeah, it's it's politically really tricky. We we think that they possibly done have done this and taken this uh, uh, slightly un, or rather unpopular decision to ban abortion now at the beginning of their term because they know that that yeah it's 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 maybe in three years people will forget about it, but yeah, the the protests were so so large, and I and, and the public was really outraged by the decision. And so, even if we have to wait a couple of years, and a lot of political uh, um, chess moves are going to happen in the meantime, I don't think Polish women, and particularly the young population, I don't think they will forget that in three years. So, was this a political campaign promise they had made to their supporters that they wanted to make certain they could actually try to fulfill or at least give the appearance that they're trying to fulfill a campaign promise. And so they did it early in their uh, administration. They did it early in their term in office because if it doesn't work out, at least they will have fulfilled their promise. Is this, is this the fulfillment of a campaign promise by the Law and Justice Party? 
Mm, not really. I mean, this is this is definitely not something that they campaigned on this year, and not even uh, uh, never. They never campaigned on on the ban of abo- on abortion. They they have have been having actually in the midst of a, of the pandemic. Once the first wave in Poland uh, subsided around July, they 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 got involved into some political infighting within the the right wing coalition that that, uh, that that basically forms the government. And uh, so they, they were a little bit, uh, so the decision might have also been influenced by that political infighting with uh, even more extreme groups than the majority party. So, so they, they were vying for kind of uh, uh, support of the fundamentalists within their own ranks and so, so stuff like that. So this is another, one thing is, is, is uh, rolling it out at the beginning of the term do the controversial uh, uh, reforms, so to speak. Uh, uh, now, uh, second thing was this, this uh, political infighting, where they wanted to prove that 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 they can also uh, um, still kind of command um, the base, so to so to speak, which is, as I said, about 20 to 30 percent of 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 their um, voters support this type of uh, uh, radical um, policy against women. And the third very, very important uh, part is, of course, uh, um, kind of a clientelist exchange with the Catholic Church, which has been supporting them quite explicitly during Mass. uh, And also, you know, like after, during Mass, you can hear very often and uh, uh, in Poland that, that for example, the the priests directly uh, encourage um, the believers to sign some petitions or sign some some projects of bills, you know, for the for the governing party, the media that is connected with the Catholic Church, which has a large uh, uh, following. Uh, they also are clearly on their political side. So so something had to be given back in exchange. Plus, there is also this lobbying of the of the fundamentalist. Um, Legal groups, which, as I as I mentioned, uh, as I had mentioned previously, are supported by by organizations uh, such as, for example, uh, Pat Robertson's uh, ACLJ. So, uh, had the government, if the government had campaigned last fall, the Law and Justice Party had they campaigned on the fact that they were going to be passing anti-abortion legislation. I hate to make you answer a hypothetical or to hate to make you speculate, but what impact do you think that would have had on last fall's elections had they campaigned on this issue? Well, what they did campaign on uh, was actually a pretty hideous and uh, disgusting attack on, on LGBT, uh, on the LGBT community. So, so, uh, so for example, the, the um, Poland's president was also, we had, we had three campaigns this year, so so basically they 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 had to also um so the incumbent is also affiliated not directly but he basically comes from the same from the from the same environment uh Andrzej Duda our second term president right now and he definitely campaigned on uh LGBT on hatred towards LGBT uh, uh people so, so that apparently has worked for him, uh, even though after after the election, he and his daughter came out uh, on television and they basically uh, um, to, took some of some of the very controversial statements that they made about the community back. Uh, but this paid off for them. I do not think that the issue where, where, where there is quite a lot of, uh, um, where the majority of popular opinion in Poland is for women's rights as we understand it, as it should be, uh, I don't think if they had campaigned on, uh, for example, introducing abortion ban or uh, uh, lifting this compromise, the so-called compromise that, that, that had existed in Poland since the 90s, if they had campaigned on dismantling this, comp- uh, this compromise, this wouldn't have worked at all. And I think they might have even lost uh, the presidential election for sure. Um, yeah, the parliamentary election, this is uh, more complex because, yeah, this, this, this type of issues maybe are not that relevant uh, at the, uh, while uh, when people are deciding at the polls uh, for a parliamentary party, they, they do not decide on this type of human rights issues, I think, in Poland, in that particular type of an election. They decide more on uh, yeah, um, <clears throat> what their own interests are, their families, um, cities, 
towns they live in and economy. So maybe that wouldn't have had that much of an of an impact. But in the presidential election, definitely these this these issues, this, these type of issues matter. What in Poland? What is that compromise? Our listeners, I'm certain, don't know exactly what the compromise that was made within Polish politics relating to abortion rights and women's reproductive rights. What is the compromise, and why is it no longer good enough for women's rights activists in Poland? Well, this is an interesting issue because uh, uh, a lot of people still, particularly on the liberal side, uh, and also some on the left, and definitely the, uh, all the right-wingers, uh, consider uh, the, the abortion law that was uh, passed um, in the Polish parliament in the early 90s a, a kind of a, a desirable compromise between the conservatives and the progressives, which it, which it had never been this way. I mean, this is this is untrue. And this is also something that we, as a party, are are arguing that that compromise from '93 uh, is is no compromise. That it, that was the actual uh, um, uh, that abortion in Poland was actually banned in '93 and not necessarily in 2020. Why? Because um, uh, during the communist times, so up until early '90s, abortion was was maybe not something that. That, that was encouraged, but it was definitely legal, and, and this procedure was uh, procedure of pregnancy termination was um, um, performed in Poland. And uh, then, uh, yeah, in, in another type of a first one of the first scientist uh, uh, exchanges with the Catholic Church, uh, the post-Solidarność uh, uh, elites basically, well, sold out women's rights. Uh, to to satisfy um, yeah the the um, archbishops and so on and uh, yeah so so a lot of women have already then campaigned against this uh, abortion ban de facto uh, then and there were also petitions uh, over a million people have signed this petition not to uh, restrict abortion just to leave the, the the law as it was as it had been in the communist times, um, like, you know, like legal abortion, but that they didn't succeed. I think this petition was not even considered in the parliament. So basically, yeah, we, we, our rights were sold out um, then. And uh, this, is, this is, so for example, one, one piece of statistics is that uh, quite a few thousands of, uh, so, so when you have a look at graphs that show how many, uh, Polish women had to go abroad to perform abortions uh, in, in the early 90s after this law had been passed in comparison to the communist times. It's like uh, the or, or on the order of uh, 100,000, I think, uh, cases. So, And then after that, from 93 um, up until 2020, there were maybe like 1,000 uh, to 2,000 abortions performed in Poland. Uh, because this was then only legal in cases of, for example, um, fetal deformation or very, very, um, you know, like heavy genetic uh, problems of the fetus. Uh, and so, so when you have a look at the statistics, abortion, actually, the way we understand it as a, as a choice of the woman had already been banned in 1993. So this is no compromise in that sense. That was no compromise. And yeah, so... So, so this many decades uh, later, I think Polish women and the Polish society is ready to, to say enough to all that because um, even though the, the law from 93 was already very restrictive, they have uh, gone even further. And uh, yeah, that, that has to stop now. And our party is definitely campaigning together with the left caucus in the Polish parliament to, uh, to legalize abortion and we want to make no compromises whatsoever anymore. How accessible are, is a women's health care service in other countries? There are reports right now that a lot of Polish women are seeking women's health care assistance in Germany. So how accessible or inaccessible is women's health care in other countries if women cannot get it in Poland? Well, uh, there are quite a few organizations that have spontaneously formed themselves uh, abroad. Uh, these are Polish women and uh, uh, emigrants uh, from Poland to, let's say, Germany or, or the, U- the UK or Sweden or the Czech Republic. Even uh, the Czech Republic, for example, and the Slovak Republic have uh, quite liberal or, or really liberal uh, abortion laws. So it's also to terminate your pregnancy, you can also travel to Slovakia, which which uh, many Polish women do actually. 
um, yeah, and and there, um, well, it's it's really wonderful that that people have organized themselves and and are trying to help because these are real dramas and 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 real, you know, difficult life choices and this situation where abortion is practically delegalized. Well, that that creates a very even more uh, and unsafe situation for a woman who who wants to terminate her pregnancy in Poland and so. But the problem with this system, so to speak, that has established itself since, since the 90s, frankly, is that it costs a lot of money. So even if you uh, if you use the help of a of a of a feminist organization or you know pro of a pro choice um, organization that that has formed in Germany, you have to pay for the treatment somewhere about uh, $600 uh, or so, and not not uh, all women that uh, seek seek termination actually have this money. So yeah, so a lot of organizations. Uh, so so for example, due to the protests, uh, uh, the abortion dream team, one of the most uh, famous help organizations, pro-choice uh, organizations that uh, assist women who want to who want to terminate their pregnancy abroad, they have gathered really a lot of a lot of funds to to also pay for women's terminations. So this. This is going to go on. That's the that's the that's the problem here. That that the government and the church they think that they can ban it and close their eyes and pretend that 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 uh, somehow termination of pregnancy and 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 um, they can they can stop us from 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 doing it. It's abortion is always going to be there. It's going to be moved maybe to to the underground or abroad. But yeah. It's, it hasn't it hasn't helped. It has created more insecurity, uh, unsafe medical conditions, and drama for Polish women. You write that in the proposed law, the Polish Constitutional Tribunal outlawed pregnancy termination in cases of severe and fatal congenital diseases of the fetus. Its verdict violates fundamental human rights and sentences generations of Polish women to personal tragedies and torture. Massive protests have erupted all around the country and abroad, including in smaller municipalities and conservative regions. So, I guess my question to you is, how does this sentence generations of Polish women to personal tragedies and torture? How is pregnancy termination in cases of severe and fatal congenital diseases of the fetus, how is that torture? Well, first of all, yeah, first of all, yeah, it is, it is. It is sentencing Polish Polish women to to personal dramas and torture because nobody should be forced to um, well first of all have a pregnancy that is unwanted and then in that particular case in in case of lifting this exception uh, uh, to to a legal abortion which had existed in Poland uh, regarding um, malformations of the fetus well in many cases. Maybe not most of the cases. The uh, women that are affected will have to um, uh, carry to term and um, you know deliver babies that have no no chance no chance to survive ex utero. So and also witness horrible things during during labor and yeah basically go through months and months of uh, of um, yeah very sad sad days and thinking of what's what's going to happen to uh, to them and their their bodies after that ordeal um yeah so so that in itself is is really bad i do not want to go into graphic into the graphic details but yeah so so on the other hand in terms of this exception uh, quite a, so one of the arguments of the right and of the of the catholic lobbyists is that well, come on, this particular exception is taking care of all the women that wanted to terminate uh, um, fetuses that um, that uh, carried, that basically were sick with the Down syndrome. And why would we, um, we want to protect uh, uh, children with Down syndrome? That would be their, their, their argumentation. But I do not think that, that this, is, this is something that we, that women should be forced to do to raise a child with a severe disability and devote their life. Uh, I think this should be, you know, sometimes in a, in a, I mean, often in a in a country where where mothers and women uh, that take care of children with disabilities are not 
supported by the state uh, enough. So, for example, the one of the I think the minimum uh, amount of money that the woman who has devoted her life to a disabled child uh, gets is something of a, something around two hundred dollars a month. So. Yeah, um, and they cannot work. They have to. They have to basically take care of their children. I. I just do not understand why would anybody force a woman to do that. And this is. This is just. Uh, yeah, I call it torture. And I think if anybody uh, uh, is brave enough to to raise a ch- child with a with a severe disability, well, that's um, that's really that's really strong of them and dignified. But nobody should be forced. No woman should be forced to do that. It's just amazing that the I mean, this just sounds like a repeat of what we have here in the United States with conservatism, that the government is or that the right, I should say, is uh, both opposed to abortion and unwilling to help mothers who do have children with disabilities, are unwilling to give them the aid and the assistance that they do need. There's an article in The Guardian from last week, and the headline is a backlash against a patriarchal culture, how Polish protests go beyond abortion rights. Mass demonstrations have exposed underlying anger at political and religious interference in people's everyday lives. Are these protests about more than abortion? And if they are about more than abortion, what are these, uh, what are these protests also about? Well, definitely. So, so uh, these protests are very different from what uh, what happened even in 2016, where there was there were attempts by by the government to uh, to ban abortion using uh, you know parliamentary means with 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 a couple of bills and legislation. Uh, so, so these protests, called the Black Protests in 2016, were already very massive, but but they were actually pretty much restricted to fighting for women's rights. This time is different. It's possible that you know that the 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 size of the protest is really like I I do not want to say it, how how much larger, but uh, just in, in in Warsaw alone when there was. Uh, um, uh, and, you know, the Polish women on strike basically called uh, everyone to come to Warsaw and protest, protest there and two weeks ago. Uh, I don't know, maybe there was like close to very, very, very many people. I don't think, I don't think uh, anybody in my generation has seen uh, such a large protest in, in Poland. And definitely this government hasn't seen this uh, uh, such an upheaval so far. A peaceful, peaceful demonstrations. Uh, however, very outspoken. So something that is very characteristic for this protest is is that um, the slogans that have become popular and are getting repeated very often. Uh, they contain a lot of expletives, and it's like people are shouting out their anger uh, that has been brewing for many, many years. And maybe a little bit of that lockdown pandemic uh, syndrome is also uh, coming here into play. That that people have been, uh, but but I guess it's it's the least important factor. I think it's really, really the the the, the fact that that women have had enough, and the society has also had uh, had enough of of the government trying to dictate whatever whatever you know they they take away our freedoms and uh, yeah this this. They, they have dismantled the, the judiciary, so this whole uh, abortion ban was only was only uh, possible because uh, the judiciary was basically packed with politicians of the law and order government party. So they have been, you know, attacking our democracy, attacking, uh, dismantling actually our democracy this way, and uh, pushing their conservative agenda onto into our lives. Um, yeah, and. And I, I think something something boiled over this time. I've got one last question for you. We've been speaking to the National Councilwoman of Razem, a left-wing political party in Poland, Zofia Malish, who posted the Progressive International article, Our Bodies, Our Lives, Our Country, The World, which you can find at progressive.international. Our final question for all of our guests is what we call, I promise we do this with all of our guests, it's what we call the question from hell, the question we hate to ask, you might hate to answer, or our audience is going to hate your response. Do the Polish people individually, does each person have to choose between being Catholic or for women's reproductive rights? And if they do not have to make that choice, how do you think a Catholic can balance the two? Huh. Uh yeah, well, this is 
I think I think this first of all this idea and and um, that that Poland is overwhelmingly Catholic. Like sometimes people are quoting some some data from the church that it's 90%, 99%. I I do not think that that really holds anymore. So maybe maybe many people <laughs> many people will not have to choose. And very many people are, are stepping out of the church, and I have seen quite a lot of activism and and, and practical, uh, like like people are really stepping out, taking the apostasy course, which means officially, you know, quitting the church right now after this after these uh, events in Poland. So I know a lot of people that were hesitating because of tradition, because of their family, are actually have actually said this year, okay, that's it. I'm I'm just uh, going to my parish and telling my, my priest I don't want to be in this in this uh, club anymore. So so my 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 answer to that first first of all is yeah, the, even even the Polish society is secularizing, and people are stepping out of the church. And so many many Polish people, believe it or not, will not have to choose. Uh, but then, uh, on the other hand, uh, I do not think you do have to choose. I think this is this is something uh, for for a woman to to be able to basically, uh, you know, her right to her body and her life is this is something I do not think. Uh, but if you give if you give women that that right which belongs to them, and you do not uh, uh, you know force them to 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 do things that 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 harm them physically and and mentally and basically take away their lives, uh, I do not think that that if you stop doing that that this is something unchristian or uncatholic. But yeah, it is. It is for them. It is for them. For those people that go to to that are Catholic truly, it is for them to to consider. And definitely, these protests and our activism is 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 definitely bringing them, you know, to consider these things. We want them to 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 think about that, and we are trying trying to argue with them, and reason with them um, from from this other side, so that they have a a, a perspective different from what they have, might hear from all of those unmarried uh, childless men in church, in the church. Zofia, this is still an ongoing story, although that the although the uh, law has been delayed at this point in time, it has been postponed, it's been put off, it's still an ongoing issue. There may be more attempts by the government to uh, impose anti-abortion laws, so we will stay in contact with you because we definitely want to continue reporting on this story. And I cannot thank you enough for being on our show today. We've been speaking with National Councilwoman of Razem, a left-wing political party in Poland, Zofia Malish, who posted the progressive international article, Our Body, Our Lives, Our Country, The World, which you can find at progressive.international. Thank you so much for being on our show today. Thank you, sir. Thanks, thanks so much. All right. Thanks Ta- for having me on. Thank you. Take care. Keeping it real. Real deep in debt since 1996. This is Helen. If you want to help us climb out of that debt, you can subscribe to tomorrow's Patreon podcast at patreon.com slash this is hell. Become a subscriber to This Is Hell on Patreon and get exclusive access to our weekly Patreon podcast, which streams live at 10 a.m. Chicago time and is podcast at the same place shortly after. This week on Patreon, we are continuing what looks to be an ongoing series of interviews we will be doing. Uh, about uh, interviews that we did shortly after Barack Obama was elected to remind us all of what filled Obama's supporters with hope, what they eventually got out of eight years of Obama. Now that we've elected Joe Biden as president, maybe, it's probably a good time to reconsider any expectations and focus on the far less exciting reality of what a Joe Biden presidency really means. We'll be doing that by sharing an interview we did back on November 29th, 2008, less than a month after Obama was elected president with the late great journalist Robert Perry, who won the prestigious Polk Award for national reporting by breaking many of the Iran-Contra stories for Newsweek and the Associated Press. Bob was on back then to talk about uh, writing he had just posted at consortiumnews.com, including Obama asked the Kremlin about Gates, which reports the Russian report arrived late via the U.S. Embassy in Moscow showing up on January 11, 1993, but the contents were stunning. The Russians reported that their intelligence revealed that long-rumored meetings between Republicans and Iranians in Europe during campaign 1980 had indeed occurred. One of the Americans implicated by the Russian report was 
Robert Gates, who in 1980 was a junior CIA official, Gates would end up being a holdover from the George W. Bush administration and would stay on as Secretary of Defense under Obama despite his participation in Iran-Contra. Bob also has also uh, was talking to us about recently written stories like Iraq war foes get short shrift because there are a lot of people who are opposed to the Iraq war and the media just ignored them all the way. Even when they knew that they had been lied into a war, they didn't go back to the same people who were in opposition to the war to ask them why they got it right. And another article called What Must Be Done Now, a piece advising progressives on what needed to be done during an Obama administration after what... Bob describes as squandering the last three to four decades of politics. It's a good reminder of how horrible President George W. Bush was, how he was arguably a war criminal and should have been prosecuted and wasn't. And now that W. recognized Joe Biden as the next president before President Trump concedes, my guess is W.'s approval ratings among Democrats is no longer in the high 50 percentile where it was before last week's vote. And has now probably gone over 60%. It's also a reminder that with Bush, uh, with Obama's appointment of a Republican as Secretary of Defense, a holdover from the previous administration, someone linked to Iran-Contra, was an acceptable cabinet member for an Obama administration. And anyone who had any hope that Obama would significantly change anything had been significantly misled. It all makes you wonder what Donald Trump's approval ratings will be among Democrats in 12 years, because after President Tucker Carlson, Democrats will likely be waxing nostalgic for the statesmanship of Donald Trump. Also on tomorrow's Patreon podcast, I can't help myself. On tomorrow's Patreon podcast, we are going back up north to small-town America for another report on what's happening in the sticks, the boonies, the hinterlands, the wilds of Michitucky. To see how they are reacting to last week's election, we'll have election results and what this election means for the folks out in beautiful Nowheresville on tomorrow's Patreon podcast streaming live. For Patreon subscribers, every Friday at 10 a.m. Chicago time at patreon.com slash thisishell. We have a couple new Patreon patrons to thank for subscribing at patreon.com slash thisishell. Thanks to Anne and Mason for becoming our newest subscribers on Patreon in a few moments. Jeff Dorchin will be delivering a moment of truth during this week's moment. Jeff leans on survivor bias. Producing this week's show is Alex Jerry. Alex, please remind our listeners what this week's question from hell is, and if you'd like to give some more of the answers right now. Yeah, this week's question from hell is, uh, so, what's her brunch? What's her brunch? Uh, Austin RM says, adrenochrome dipped lady fingers. <laughs> what's her brunch? Joe B says, the Chumbawamba. Eric T says, adrenochrome bloody marys and eggs benedict with an essence of the souls of the innocents. And finally, Jeff D. says, pepper spray and egg sandwich. <laughs> you can leave your answer to this week's question from hell at our Facebook page. You can tweet it to us. You can email it to us. The person with our favorite answer to this week's question from hell wins a gray on black This Is Hell t-shirt. Another end of the world is possible. This is hell. And Alex, I know you have Hefe on the line. One, two, you know what to do. The extermination game. Welcome to the moment of truth, the thirst that is the drink. Let's say there's a holocaust. No, not a nuclear one. Nothing as fancy as all that. A regular selectively genocidal one. And let's say you're one of the select genus upon which the laws of genocide are brought to bear. And let's say you survive past the end of the genocide. If I gather to memory all I've read of the narratives of survivors and what they tell me about what it's like, one thing I've learned is about survivors' guilt. It's like the ghosts of everyone you loved, and anyone at all, who died in the genocide, haunting you. The author, Primo Levi, struggled with it all his post-Auschwitz life. He finally succumbed in 1987, committing suicide, although that interpretation of his fatal fall in a stairwell is certainly debatable. He also struggled against survivor bias, coming to selective conclusions based only on survivors' input, because those who didn't survive aren't there to chime in. It's the feeling that you're more than lucky, the feeling that in some way you deserve your good fortune because of some merit or virtue within you. The thesis of one of Levy's books, The Drowned and the Saved, is that it was through no quality, but by pure chance, 
that anyone who was caught up as a victim in the genocide against various categories of human beings during the Second World War survived beyond the fall of the European Axis regimes. Levy was useful to the Germans because of his knowledge of chemistry, but he attributes his survival to a series of moments when he happened to be in the right place at the right time. Consciously, overtly, on the surface, Levy was willing to indulge in survivor's guilt and determined to repudiate survivor bias. I have an interpretation of survivor bias, which Levy himself may have arrived at in his unconscious as he pitted bias against guilt, and it goes like this. I'm not unique, I'm a normal person, but somehow I've survived whereas others haven't. If I'm normal, it's normal to have survived. Therefore, my survival is the norm, even as extraordinary as it might seem. That is, my good luck is no better than anyone else's good luck, and though I'm aware that there are all kinds of luck, anyone can find themselves blessed with my kind, the good kind. That means that survival must not be as rare a result of my people's tribulations as it seems to my guilt-ridden identity. Maybe I can forgive myself for surviving what others didn't. It takes a complicated mind to contain such a cosmic storm of processes as Primo Levi's did. In the end, he didn't survive the attempts his mind made towards synthesis. There's something I need to tell you all at this point. The universe wants to kill you. Perhaps even more than it wanted to bring you to life. Now that you're alive, the universe wants to maim you, erode you, and finally extinguish you. And it will have its way one day. Every moment you find yourself alive, you have survived the universe's many attempts to assassinate you. Think of the universe as one all-encompassing genocidal regime. Just, just do it for me. Indulge me. Pretend it's trying to exterminate us all. But the extermination game is rigged, just like everything else humans have a hand in. No mistake, there are people collaborating with the universe to try to destroy you hoping thereby to increase their own chances of survival. And the degree and quality of their collaboration depends on who they are as much as who you are. To me, the big question is not how people can tolerate the stress of oppression. It is incredible, but people are strong. It's actually hard to kill them, which is why the whole universe has to put in an effort. Nor how people can be so evil as to put others in that position of stress where the universe has a better opportunity to crush them. People can be cruel and greedy and uncaring when it comes to securing their own survival, rewards, and social status. My big question is, how can so many people who derive little to no protection from the universe's vendetta against them nevertheless line up to be complicit in the victimizer's schemes? The victimizer. In my example, let's make him a him. And let's make that him a grotesque demagogical gargoyle of vanity and self-interest, a grotesque overinflated chud, a bloated bag of subcutaneous fermenting chicken a la king. This vile victimizer gives his chudlings not a crumb from his table, just words to play upon their petty bigotries and fears. Why can they not see through him? Furthermore, why don't they despise him? He thinks they're idiots he can command at his caprice. He lies to them, makes promises he's too incompetent to make good on. He puts his chudlings at risk of death from disease, yet he plays his little butt pipe and they dance to his tune. And no, I'm not talking about centrist Democrats and Biden. Their relationship bears a strong resemblance to King Chud and his chudlings, but there's is much more detached, less overtly emotional. I mean, come on, he's Biden. How enthralled can anyone get? And more to the point, Biden's not currently shifting leadership around at the Pentagon in what seems like preparation for a military coup d'etat. Some of you might be saying to yourselves or to someone else or to your dog or cat or guinea pig, Jeff, what can this possibly have to do with survivor's bias? Isn't this a simple case of Stockholm Syndrome or manipulative grievance politics? These chudlings see themselves as victims of elites who are forcing non-white, non-Christian, non-capitalist values down their innocent throats. How can people see themselves as both victims and survivors simultaneously? The answer, as you and your dog and guinea pig have probably guessed, 
is that each self-image is separated from the other in compartments in the same shrunken, chuddling head. In one compartment, the chudlings feel under siege. They talk about themselves as victims of big government, of men disguised as women apt to assault everyone who's in the ladies' room legitimately, shiftless black slackers and vandals who want everything for free and refuse to behave in a civilized manner, forcing police to kill them. Owls and squirrels and frogs who want to crush the economy by protecting the environment with their feelings. Little children who insist on being killed in school shootings, putting the chudlings' gun rights in jeopardy, or even worse, surviving the shooting spree and speaking out about it like Bolsheviks. Latinas who mock them for wearing hoop earrings. Black people, always the black people, making fun of the chudlings' flavorless potato salad they brought to the cookout. Academics who've made telling jokes a shunning offense. Anarchists terrorizing everyone, including themselves. But in another compartment, like a guinea pig cage, separated but porous, the chudling, and really anyone who's been indoctrinated into capitalism and is surviving in comfort to some degree, feels like, hey, I'm doing okay. I sure don't want to end up as big a victim as I'm pretending to be. America is moving in that direction, but in a universe that's constantly trying to kill me, I'm surviving just fine. That's because I do what's right. I work for my place. Let the people who don't work for their place know their place. I'll tell them where that is, and maybe they'll figure out that to be like me and survive reasonably well, you have to be as good as me. And if you were as good as me, you'd be in my place instead of envying my place. These two views of the self, the survivor and the victim, and probably more, battle each other in the chudlings' minds. The contradictions are at war. The victim and survivor are at war with each other, and it's unclear if there will be a resolution. A war has collateral casualties. Doesn't matter if this or that chudling doesn't kidnap a governor, shoot a couple of protesters or a black church congregation, blow up a building, kill someone he pulls over for a traffic stop, or... Purchase influence in this or that political party. The collateral casualties of the war between the mental chud victim and the mental survivor are the people who have to live in poverty their king chud's client corporations create. The poverty the chudling has never given a damn about whether it was enabled under a Democrat or Republican regime. The collateral casualties are the people who die from COVID-19 or the 100-year-old weather events thanks to climate change denial, which chudlings parrot while they reject the rights of climate victims to call on their government for disaster aid. It's the many species dying off at an accelerating rate as the chudlings vote for mindless industries to thwart attempts to mitigate the damage they're causing. And yes, you and your dog and guinea pig are correct, most of us have a survivor and a victim at war within ourselves. Those around us, and even those distantly connected to us, suffer because of it, with and without our knowledge. Any of us who is doing okay, even if we're a little precarious, sometimes even a lot precarious, we all have something inside us that gives our fear and guilt a free pass and makes us say, there's no military coup being plotted against the people of the USA, that only happens in other countries. Things will always go on as normal here. Somewhere on the spectrum between victim identity and survivor identity, between rationalization and self-effacement, there's a citizen of the world who knows their worth but doesn't see themselves as more or less worthy than anyone else, who takes responsibility and lives up to responsibility, who takes account of both the misery and the blessings of the world with clarity. I know some of these people. They're pretty great. Sometimes I get tired of them because they make me ashamed. Not that they mean to. And sometimes I'm a little bit like them. And then I get ashamed of how much I secretly congratulate myself. Short version, we get comfortable with the fact we exist and the quality of our existence, while those who no longer exist or exist in far worse conditions seem like aberrations, although we can see they vastly outnumber us. As if it weren't difficult enough to get a well-intentioned mass group of people to participate in activities that alleviate suffering, the survivor bias, even when confronted, does not easily loosen its grip. And meanwhile, 
with and without the help of the rulers, the universe just keeps picking us off, no matter what we do or how unified our psyches are, one by one. This has been the moment of truth. Good day. All right, Jeffy, I got places to go, people to see, bathrooms to visit, so... All right, go do your duty. I will stay my beautiful self. All right, stay beautiful, sir. Live from land stolen from the Potawatomi people, this is Hell. Alex, do you have the rest of this week's answers to the question from Hell? Uh, This week's question from Hell is, so uh, what's her brunch? What's her brunch? Uh, Via email, DM, Twitter, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Adam B. says, I'm still holding the sign. It's just Rashida Tlaib on there instead. Uh, Drifa says via email, hope, trademark. Obama's getting some kickbacks on that one, I think. Uh, Neil C. says, intravenous status quo. Uh, Paul H. says, tasty Joe Biden's leg hair. <laughs> Sorry to have you just take a big drink of that while uh, it's reading that. Disgusting. Uh, what's a brunch? What's a brunch? Rock taster says, alternatives to meat. Really the only alternative thing we have left, because this is hell. And our friend's hypocrite reader wrote, communion wafers. Warmly, hypocrite reader. P.S. Our answer from last week never got read. Is the book of Revelation too hot for radio? P.P.S. We think our answer from last week was the most accurate. Prove us wrong. <laughs> uh, now we're going to have to look that one up. I don't know how we yeah, missed it. Sorry. Uh, every once in a while we skip a, we miss a couple because uh, we've got multiple producers reading and uh, it's kind of a little difficult to get total coverage over uh, every single week. Uh, but uh, we're trying our best. And I just read it now, so I guess that sort of counts or something. <laughs> yeah, it does. And then uh, finally, what's her brunch? Finally, what's her brunch? <laughs> I will leave this to our friend EatFarts69, who's back on Twitter and wrote, come January, it'll be state-mandated adrenochrome the Democrats have been bogarting. <laughs> I just like the fact that our listeners gave us three different answers with adrenochrome in it. Adrenochrome dipped ladyfingers, adrenochrome bloody marys, and eggs benedict. And uh, what... Uh, Hypocrite Reader just posted as well. I think uh, kind of a telling time from the Trump administration that the two things that I'm just going to remember most from this were adrenochrome and hydroxychloroquine, two (laughs) fictional drugs. (laughs) But the answer I liked most was the most accurate answer, and that is Jack's answer. So uh, what's for brunch? Jack says, Crow. That makes this week's winner... Jack's answer of Crow, because I and so many others were so certain that Joe Biden would not win a single delegate, let alone a primary, let alone the nomination, let alone the presidency. His campaign was poorly organized. He was uninspiring at at the few rallies he did do, and that was before the pandemic. And there was nothing new with Joe other than backpedaling from mistakes he made in the past and co-opting bits and pieces of Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren's policies. So, yeah, we'll be having Crow every brunch for the next four years. Jack, you have won the new Graham Black This Is Hell t-shirt, which everyone can see right now. And you can get right now at thisishell.com when you click on support. All you have to do, Jack, is send us your mailing address via email or Facebook, and we will get your t-shirt, your prize to you, ASAP. My answer to this week's question from hell. So, uh, what's for brunch? I guess you haven't been listening. I just told you I'm eating crow, all right? Now leave me alone. Thanks, everyone, for sending in your answers to this week's Question Hell. Very special thanks to Rain, Doug, and Brianna, who went to thisishell.com, clicked on support, and showed their appreciation for completely listener-supported This Is Hell. So thanks, Rain, Doug, and Brianna. We truly appreciate your amazing contributions. Alex, who's on Monday's show? Uh, just because Brian Hugh is going to be on the show uh, from uh, Taipei to talk about his uh, recent New Blue Mag articles, Pan-Democrat Legislators Resign en masse from Hong Kong Legislative Council. And then right after that, uh, oh, sorry, uh, that's the one. That's the one. Uh, that's the most recent one he's written. Uh, before that was uh, four Hong Kong legislators removed from office as Pan-Democrats consider mass resignation. Uh, sorry for the spoiler there. <laughs> I think you're spoiling anything for anybody. So what about Tuesday and Wednesday? Okay, I just booked Tuesday. Geographer Alistair Bonnet will be on to talk about his book, Elsewhere, A Journey into Our Age of Islands. Oh, cool. Uh, enjoy them while you can, folks. And yeah. then uh, finally on uh, Wednesday... Uh, Jennifer Burke will be back on the show with her co-author Jack Snyder. They just wrote the book A Wolf at the Schoolhouse Door, The Dismantling of Public Education and the Future of School. Yeah, that looks really good. Thursday, Jeff is going to be doing a moment of truth. We haven't, we don't have a guest yet booked for Thursday. So if you're listening right now and you have any uh, guest or topic suggestions, send them to us. Chuck at thisishell.com, Alex at thisishell.com. We start every week's live streaming shows here at thisishell.com with Alex revealing, or actually it's now Daphne revealing this week's Hangover Cure. This week's Hangover Cure is 
is asparagus. Thanks to all of this week's guests, including Muhammad Abdu, who wrote the Roar magazine article, Let Empire Collapse, Why We Need a Decolonial Revolution. Also, thanks to Georgios Kallis and Susan Paulson, co-authors of The Case for Degrowth. Anit Singh, who was on yesterday's show and edited and curated Feral Atlas, The More Than Human Anthropocene. And I got a lot of emails and comments on social media yesterday about that interview and how much people were enjoying it. And I was really nervous about doing the interview because it's an odd topic and uh, really glad that people liked it. Finally, thanks to today's guest, National Councilwoman of Razem, a left-wing political party in Poland, Zofia Malish, who wrote Our Bodies, Our Lives, Our Country, The World. Talk to you tomorrow on Patreon when we will be playing our interview with award winning journalist Robert Perry, who broke many of the Iran-Contra stories and was telling us that President-elect Obama was about to have as his Secretary of Defense an Iran-Contra conspirator. Conversation we had less than a month after President Obama was elected and upset a lot of our listeners. And I'll be reporting on the reaction of last week's election up north in small-town America via locals' comments in their weekly community newspaper. I'm your bitter, blind, broke, gap radio show host Chuck Merce, producing today's Hell, Alex, Jerry, thanks to Alex for producing. Thanks to Zofia for being a guest. And there you go. There's only one way to get over all of the problems that we've introduced to you on this week's set of shows. That's by sitting down in the lotus position, turning your palms towards the sky, focusing on that burning white dot in the middle of your forehead, and saying the simple words, Everybody's stupid. My demon is on my butt. <laughs> my demon talks to me in profanity like a sailor. And my demon tries to knock me down, and my demon tries to put me on a hell ride.